you know with that uh i think we should go ahead and get started uh good evening and welcome to tonight's program on embracing the gift and necessity of interfaith dialogue my name is steven slaybaugh and i serve as the co-director of interfaith action during tonight's session, we will have the opportunity to explore the importance of creating spaces for dialogue between members of different faith traditions, political persuasions, cultural backgrounds, in a time when our country is so divided. The title of this evening's program is Embracing the Gift and Necessity of Interfaith Dialogue. So I want to take a minute to unpack why we chose uh, that title and why maybe we've invited Jack to talk about it. Interfaith dialogue is at its most basic level, uh, people of differing faith traditions coming together for conversations. And this dialogue often looks like uh, people might think of high level dialogues between religious leaders or religious organizations, but it's also the case that this can take place at a grassroots level. These conversations can have a variety of goals, such as promoting cross-community interaction, conflict resolution, or even advocating with one another for peace and justice. The setting for these conversations is aimed at mutual understanding, not competition, mutual problem solving, not proselytizing. It's about learning from and with one another. Uh, my own journey with interfaith conversations started at maybe a rather late point when I attended a small liberal arts Baptist school in South Dakota. Uh, and I took this world religions course where I was required to visit a local synagogue and a local mosque. Uh, and as someone uh, who grew up in an evangelical Baptist tradition, uh, going into these spaces, I was maybe a little bit prepared for debate. Uh, to be met by people who might try to change my mind or whose mind I might try to change. Uh, but it turned out through those encounters, uh, my mind was changed. Uh, I was overwhelmed and perhaps even a bit surprised by the warm hospitality that me and my classmates received in these faith communities. They welcomed us to observe their worship, uh, later explained a bit what was important to them as people of faith, and a few of them even shared food uh, with us, which was a lovely thing. Uh, from that uh, first holy encounter in South Dakota until now, my experience has been uh, that people from different faith traditions are a gift to one another with rich traditions and offerings. If we would only have the posture of listening and learning and a desire to work together for common goals. Uh, tonight, uh, we are honored to have with us someone who has been facilitating these conversations for quite some time, uh, Jack Gordon, uh, who's joining us in his backyard. <laughs> All of us, anyone else in their backyard today in Michigan? <laughs> no. Uh, well, uh, Jack is uh, the host of the weekly radio show Interfaithish on Tacoma Radio in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And his show is described as conversations about what we believe why we believe and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. With a rich history of facilitating over 100 interfaith conversations on this program and beyond, uh, Jack has been actively engaged in the DC area interfaith scene since 2010. Uh, he's also served on the board of Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Washington and spearheaded the annual DC Interfaith Leadership Summit for young adult leaders in the region uh, until 2017. Jack grew up in a religiously mixed family and identifies as a Baha'i who is also culturally Jewish. He's worked as a professional documentary filmmaker for nearly 20 years and recently directed the short film To Bigotry, No Sanction, commissioned by George Washington University. Uh, Jack, uh, we are thrilled to have you here with us this evening. And at this point, I will. Uh, turn it over to our Q&A section, which will be followed by uh, time for audience questions. Um, and then finally, with some breakout groups where we can have uh, interfaith conversations of our own. So, um, Jack, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, and uh, I, I hope to actually get started here by maybe you telling us just a bit about yourself. Uh, what is your faith tradition? 
And when did you first get started uh, with interfaith work? Sure, and thank you for that that warm introduction and and this great invitation to talk uh, with these new friends in in Michigan. I like to joke that part of the reason why I'm so passionate about doing interfaith work is because I was part of a interfaith family that didn't work. Um, I had from from a, a mixed marriage. My father's side of the family is Jewish. My mother's side of the family is historically Christian of, of different denominations. Um, and they're even as close as, as they're both whites. They're, they both grew up in a relatively suburban upbringing on the coast. Um, culturally, there was still sort of a clash there. Um, it's something that I, I still don't quite understand about about my, my parents' history of how it is that they came together. Um, because they definitely had some some pretty strong differences, particularly on my dad's trusting Christians. And so I grew up with, uh, ironically, even though my my mother was from a Christian background, um, a pretty big chip on my shoulder about Christians and Christianity. Um, to complicate the story a little bit further, we had this third religious um, uh, presence in our family, which was the Baha'i faith. My my maternal grandmother, my mother's mother, had um, become a Baha'i in the 60s, um, and her eldest daughter had become a Baha'i um, sometime in early adulthood, along with the man that became her husband, and they raised their children, my cousins, as Baha'is. So I knew that there was this Baha'i faith thing um, from childhood, but I didn't actually explore it until I myself was in college and, and becoming more politically aware and, and starting to encounter, you know, some spiritual, deeper spiritual questions that, um, and I found in the Baha'i faith um, a certain um, resolution to the, the issues that, that I had or, or, or assumed that I had with Christianity um, be, because of the principles of oneness that, that um, the Baha'i faith revolves around. So when I accepted the Baha'i faith, I think that was rather than uh, an end to, that, to those questions and that journey, the beginning of really a new exploration for me and the 20 years since then have been um, uh, really a, a, a journey and an adventure and in, in interrogating those things, those, those questions about what is it that I believe, um, what do I understand about myself and my own spiritual self, my spiritual nature, um, and at the end of the day, how does that then um, approach and come into community with people of different backgrounds and beliefs. And, and so that's part of what's really motivated this, um, this calling and this vocation to be involved with interreligious dialogue and action um, through the various projects that I've, I've done, you know, since, uh, uh, as you said, around formally around 2010. Uh, Jack, I'm just wondering, uh, how did you first get involved in interfaith work in sort of a professional setting, given all of those, you know, your, your really rich family history um, on a professional level? Sure. So in 2007, I moved to the DC area. I uh, had been living overseas um, in Madagascar, uh, as luck would have it. Uh, I don't know if any of you have, have visited there. Um, but uh, but that was that was a place actually that really started to spark my interest in interreligious dialogue while I was there, and I think it was really the, the first time that I, in a serious way, met Muslims, um, fell in love with Islam and the teachings of Islam. I under I, I knew it, you know, on sort of a theoretical level um, that as a Baha'i, um, a new Baha'i. Um, you know, I had a responsibility to understand this oneness of religion, which was a, a, a key tenant of the Baha'i faith. Um, but I didn't have any practical experience. Um, so while I was, the years that I was living in Madagascar, I, I encountered Baha'is, or I'm sorry, I encountered um, 
Muslims for the first time. Actually, it was actually the place where I encountered Baha'is for the first time. I outside of my family, um, it was where I I decided to join the Baha'i community as well. I was living in Madagascar. Um, but Muslims was a new introduction. Members of the LDS Church, Latter Day Saints, it was the first time I I met um, Latter Day Saints, and um, and so coming back to the DC area, you know, I I, I felt like I I had a little bit more lived experience and intellectual experience, um, understanding some of those traditions. And as I was saying at the at the beginning of this conversation, you know, DC is such a rich place culturally. Um, and in, in terms of its uh, religious diversity, um, that it was fertile ground for starting to explore this. And um, soon into my time here, I came here for a job initially that I, and, and within the first few weeks of moving here um, to work as a communications person for, for a, a nonprofit organization, and Baha'is that had been working for this unique media pro project that supported creating um, television and radio programming in Farsi uh, for the Iranian, um, for Iranian people both in Iran and in the diaspora. Um, and if you know anything about the Baha'i faith and the Baha'i community, the Baha'i faith was born in Iran. Um, it has its founding in Iran. It's a worldwide religion that that is in every country on the world presently, but that's where its origins are coming from. And because it comes from a a, um, uh, a Muslim context, um, it's can, and recognizes a prophet after Muhammad. It's considered to be a heretical um, religious movement by the Muslim authorities in Iran. And so, um, Baha'is have experienced waves and waves of persecution in the early days tens of thousands of, of early Baha'is were put to death during the Ottoman Empire and um, and in more recent times have have faced um, uh, very serious waves of persecution that include you know really um, unfounded uh, uh, imprisonment um, the the um, the destruction of holy sites and cemeteries, um, uh, basically restricting Baha'is from holding government jobs or, or any sort of uh, ability to uh, create a livelihood for themselves and, and, um, and, the, and basically the dissolution of their, of their institutions or their religious institutions. Um, and so this effort to create this, this um, and broadcasted via satellite television and radio was was an, an opportunity to um, combat those uh, what is essentially a media blackout within Iran and 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 hopefully sow the seeds of, of some soft influence by providing educational mate media material um, for for uh, Persian speaking populations to un better understand actual information about the Baha'i faith instead of the um, very skewed misinformation campaigns that the Iranian government um, puts out there. Um, everything from children's books to to full on, you know, um, uh, um, religious sermons and, and, and things like that. So I was working for um, for that that outlet for a couple of years. And and through that effort, it was at a time where we were encouraged by the U.S. Baha'i institutions to do our utmost to reach out particularly to Muslim uh, contacts that we had and to just sow the seeds of friendship with them um, so that in, in our small part, we can show that the Baha'i community, what the Baha'i community stands for. And what it stands for is this principle of unity and oneness and togetherness and, and, and building, um, a, you could say, a, to borrow a phrase, a beloved community together. Um, so, so I did make those, those were sort of the first efforts that I made in that, in that area. And what that quickly dovetailed into was, um, serving on the board of the Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Washington, which the, the DC Baha'i administrative body, our DC assembly appointed me to, um, in 2010. And then I successively did a number of, of, um, uh, media projects and, and the, um, 
that uh, Young Leaders Summit that you were talking about earlier um, to help support those endeavors. And and along the way, uh, because of my day job maker, um, what personally inevitably happened was was that the, um, the 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 people that I was coming into contact with at these various religious institutions found out about my my professional work and and then would hire our company to um, help them with video production and their efforts and things. So it actually um, built this uh, uh, a a a series of professional um, productions that we've done with different um, faith-based organizations, helping them to tell the stories of their of their groups as well. So it's had this dual benefit of being really something that I do in my off hours, but then inevitably um, in my in my work as a as a filmmaker. Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Laura. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Um, hi, Jack. Uh, so you've facilitated over 100 um, interfaith conversations on your podcast, Interfaith-ish, which you describe as conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. How did you begin this journey of facilitating, facilitating interfaith podcasts, and what are some lessons that you've learned about interfaith conversations along the way? Yeah, so I, um, that's sort of picks up where where I, I left off my last comment um so when i was with the the interfaith council the first thing i, I noticed is, is that um i was the youngest person at age around 27 at that time by about 10 years of of pretty much anybody else that was on the board of that institution um these are representatives that the various churches and mosques and 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 communities would send um to to be part of this um this collective group and and um really it was it it was a group that was created um it, i think i think it was 19 say in the late 70s early 80s um and can boast the the greatest degree i think of uh religious diversity at that time where it had you know, uh, very quickly, uh, I think 11 historic faith communities that were represented, you know, and when I say faith communities, you know, all of the Protestant Christianity was, was named as one, one, one so Protestant Christians was one, Catholics was another, Muslims, Baha'is, Buddhists, etc. going down the list. So there was really a rich diversity of people that were at, around that table, and I was meeting a lot of them and noticing that a lot of them had um, uh, grayer hair than I did. Um, now I have more gray hair, um, but um, but the uh, the the question that will come is like, where are the young people, and how does an organization that's intending to make interfaith uh, relations and dialogue and action relevant. Um, how does it sustain itself if there are not young people that are at the table and part of these conversations? Um, I, it's not the only organization that that has those questions that are there, and I think very few organizations, um, at least in those early 2000s, was doing a very good job um, at 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 bringing young people into the conversation and making it relevant for for them. So that was something that I sought to do. Uh, right from the outset, and um, and as I would get to know people, I was doing this interview series with with other members of the board, and and that introduced me to a lot of young people that were that were uh, that were sort of the deputy, uh, the assistant director of a program, or the deputy um, or assistant minister, assistant rabbi, um, and so on and so forth, and and so we put together this sort of cadre of of young people. Um, that had a very different conversation than, than the people that were the, the head rabbi or the head imam or what have you, a different type of conversation would, would happen when we would gather. Um, and so we, we started to spearhead these um, annual gatherings that would be a catalyst for relationship building, particularly among young people that were interested in, in talking about issues of religious um, dialogue, interreligious dialogue. Um, whether they belong to a particular tradition or not. And we made space for people who were 
um, uh, uh, that were uh, claimed multiple faith traditions, that claimed no particular faith tradition, that were that were academically exploring religion or atheists, but also believed in social justice and the power of bringing multiple communities together. So this was all sort of the context that was there. And then what inevitably happened was that I got old and um, I was no longer a young adult. I, I crossed that threshold of, of being, we had sort of a, a hazy line of like 35 or something in there where where um, uh, we, we would say, okay, you are like a full adult at this point. You're no longer just a young adult. And so, you know, you've gone out to pasture. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so I, I handed over the reins of that, of that activity to uh, other uh, people that were involved with the effort and, and it continued past that. And, um, and then, but I was still really eager to engage with these conversations. And I had a really deep Rolodex of um, contacts through that work, having done that work then for, you know, five, close to 10 years. And so, um, so I said, well, what can I do? Uh, you know, I'd love to do something that, that brings my media expertise together with this. And, um, and I wanted to start a, uh, I, well, I should say, I did not want to start a podcast. I wanted to start a radio show. Um, and I did not want to start a podcast because at that time, like Serial was out and everybody was doing a podcast. It was becoming very popular. And you had lots of podcasts that people were just recording in their bedroom or whatever. And I just did not want to do that. I wanted to go to a proper studio and have a certain level of professionalism and live radio was very, the idea of that was very exciting. Um, and we had a new radio station that was starting here in Tacoma Park, um, a low power FM station that was broadcasting from downtown Tacoma Park. And so I pitched this idea of doing an interreligious dialogue program and they were very eager to have it because it was a different slant on the type of local programming that they were doing. Um, and so that really kicked off um, um, uh, doing that. And every week we would bring in two guests from different backgrounds to sit down and have a conversation to meet face to face and, and to talk about their own personal experience and a little bit about their tradition and uh, dispel some of the myths that we might encounter. Um, in the, the term interfaith-ish came from this idea. It, it's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing because it was, you know, mm -hmm. hyphen-ish there's a little bit of uh um you know a, a leaving room for what does interfaith mean you know so that was part of the reason why it was interfaith issue wasn't the traditional interfaith dialogue that people might be used to but um are all uh, using sort of uh um uh the slang term of what ish is is sort of the 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 stuff the you know I'm, I'm i'm keeping it pg but the um the stuff that you uh you might not get into you know getting rolling up your sleeves and getting into the questions that you wouldn't necessarily find if you were you know talking to cardinal so-and-so and and rabbi so-and-so who were keeping things a little bit more at a at a at a um um uh, party line level um, so we, we, you know, got, got into some of those conversations and we would, we would talk, you know, we talked about with a rabbi and an, an Orthodox priest, you know, like beard care, you know, we talked about like what, what, are, what it goes into like a, a well-scented beard, something like that. You know, we talked about, you know, what was it like to be a, um, a Hare Krishna in Russia and like, what were the, what were the, um, the religious freedom issues and the assaults that people were facing there? Um, we talked about it, you know, things like if you were a uh, interfaith themed uh, professional wrestler, what would be your your finishing move, you know? And and we talked the 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 Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost slapback, you know, was you know some of the things. So we, we had fun. We just we sort of um, you know made it light and 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 got into some deep things there. And then of course then the pandemic hit, and I ended up with a podcast that I recorded in my bedroom anyway um you know despite my best efforts um but really what that what that turned into was an opportunity to reach out to people um beyond the dc area and we quickly pivoted to say you know what how can we then use this opportunity if we're all stuck at home to to talk to folks in other parts of the country countries or in the world and bring in voices that we hadn't seen and really think about if, if the original concept for the show was a neighborhood uh, and bringing people, neighbors together in dialogue, 
what is what is a what is a a um an online neighborhood look like and how does that create an opportunity to to um to mix it up with folks that we may not get to engage in IRL in real life but but still have a fruitful conversation with so we've done that for the last few years we're just getting back into our radio station which through an abundance of caution um really kept the restrictions on the people that were coming into the studio in this most recent, uh, until the most recent months. Um, but since then, I've, I've pivoted now to having a series of conversations around um, music and talking about music and the spiritual themes that different musicians, both secular and religious, are, are encountering in, their, um, in the music and the art that they create, the music that inspires them, and how we can think differently about um, what we consider to be spiritual music and how we can appreciate the spirituality that really is uh, inevitably at the core of that music making process. Um, if we consider you know, music to be a divine expression as well, that the arts are actually a divine expression and, um, and, 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 and complicate uh, the question of you know, what does spiritual music sound like? Does it, can it be, can we find something divine in, in pop music? You know, um, what, what are the things that we find there? And, and it's, it's yielded a number of, of really lovely conversations for all of you who are, who are music lovers and have a deep appreciation of, 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 of the myriad forms of music that are out there. I'd encourage you to look at some of those conversations, even if, if you're not particularly into the, the genre of music that the person uh, creates, because I think there have been some really beautiful conversations uh, that that surprise have surprised me a lot um, through those explorations. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love that you've created um, these these spaces for all of these um, you know different, little bit different take on on interfaith. Um, so in facilitating these conversations, um, the space that you've created for these dialogues between members of many different faith traditions, political persuasions, cultural backgrounds. Um, could you talk a bit about the importance of creating those types of spaces in our current religious and political climate? Yeah, you know, when we when we started out, it, 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 the, the sort of watchword that we had was was that, um, you know, diversity is just a fact of life, right? It's it's just, especially here in the DC area, um, there isn't anything about tolerance because you know it's just it's there whether you want it or not it's not a matter of of tolerating it it's a matter of of um putting ourselves really to the question of what are we doing to to study and to learn our neighbors of all sorts of different backgrounds um, a friend of mine says, you know, if you're in DC and you don't have friends from 30 different countries, you're doing something wrong um, because because DC is one of these places where, you know, you you just walk down the street and you encounter people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, so I think that you know we were just I was just in a conversation earlier today where we were saying, you know, how do we recognize that gift? How do we recognize that um, opportunity um, to really do the most that we can every single day when we get up to enrich ourselves, uh, uh, our own understanding of the world by by really engaging thoughtfully with our neighbors. And, um, you know, dialogue, I think, is, is the least uh, we can do uh, to really be bold in our conversations and 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 to say these are people who, you know anybody that I encounter is going to have a different perspective than I do even if they may say share the same tradition they're going to have a different um, uh, origin story that's going to lead them to this you know point um, in in life and and how can I thoughtfully you know uh, uh, encounter them um, to to explore matters of the spirit um, and then ultimately how do we turn that into action to create the more pluralist uh, society that we really want to see um, that lives up to, particularly here in the United States, the ideals of what our country was founded on. Um, and I think that those are those really the responsibility and the duty of each one of us that live in this country 
um, no matter our background, no matter our resources, no matter where we're coming from, because it's something that um, uh, really is, is just part and parcel of being in in the United States, you know, being in our in our country, which is, you know, I, I've traveled to dozens of countries all around the world. And and this is something that is fundamentally different about the United States, um, the 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 breadth of the diversity that's here. Um, but if that diversity is a fact, how do we recognize our agency in bringing to bringing about a more pluralistic vision of what our country can be? Wonderful, thank you. Um, Stephen, you had other questions? Yeah, the time is creeping up. So maybe I'll ask one more before we open it up uh, for a few minutes to you all. But, um, you know, Jack, something that really, you know, when I, what the, the way I discovered you was I typed in interfaith uh, into Apple podcasts, and I listened to a number of these podcasts. And uh, frankly, there weren't that many options. And, and, and secondly, um, and you've talked about this, you were really talking about uh, difficult issues with a very wide uh, array of folks. So, um, you know, if I look at uh, some of the titles, just scrolling through here for, for this group, uh, talking about uh, nuclear warfare, the war in Ukraine, uh, abortion, reimagining January 6th, uh, you know, Dune and Islam of the future. So, I mean, there, there's a really wide array of conversations and it, it always struck me the grace with which you handled uh, at times uh, varying perspectives uh, on, on different issues. Um, so I, I wanted to, to, to encourage people to check, check those out and check out some of your work uh, as I think really exemplary of what it means to create these kind of spaces. Um, where we can ask the hard questions, where we can engage uh, politically, um, as well as uh, from our religious perspectives. But um, I, I did want to add that uh, before I move into this uh, this final question. And, and that is uh, here at Interfaith Action, we find that many of our efforts are focused on uh, building interfaith community through action. Um, and so I want to ask you, in your experience, what is the relationship between interfaith dialogue and interfaith action? And if there are any examples from your experience that, that stand out. Yeah, I think that they are, um, they're, they're completely linked because we need to have at least a baseline understanding of one another in order to engage in any sort of meaningful action. I think that part of the trouble can arise from dialogue is if it just stays at the point of dialogue, then it becomes, um, you know, perhaps a worthwhile academic exploration, um, the excitement that comes from theological debate or, or even just study together. Um, those all are, are all well and good and they have their place. But I think that if we are trying to heal the world, if we're trying to uh, disrupt the model of um, conflict and, and work towards a new story of cooperation, then at some point we have to take the step to move into concrete action together. And from a Baha'i perspective, our community life is organized around these seasons of consultation, action, and reflection as being really critical elements. And I'm sure that in, in your various traditions and communities, there's some version of that as well. But at an institutional level, the yearly cycle is broken up by these periods of, of doing this and thinking about the growth of the community and, and what is it that, that we're doing at these different times. Um, and I think that you know part of my aspiration as a Baha'i has been really to concretize this that idea and try to bring it into my own individual life because because um, if 
we are only consulting, discussing, planning, and we never take the step to action, we, we haven't really moved out there. We haven't taken the risk to put ourselves out there. And I think that's an, that action part, trying, failing, is, is an important step to take. And then we have to do the work of, of also reflecting and being honest with ourselves about how things went. Some things will not have gone well. Some things will be brilliant successes. And, and we should celebrate those successes and, and, and talk candidly about what it was that, that didn't work as well. And then not be disheartened by those, the, the, the failures or be um, satisfied with the successes, but, but say, okay, well, how does that take us to the next step? And then we consult again and start the cycle again to consult about what, what next is to be done. So I think that no matter what it is that we are doing in our neighborhoods, I'm, right now I'm very focused on my neighborhood level and really uh, we've moved into a new neighborhood uh, within the last year and a half and relationship building here has been really a critical piece of it. Um, making sure that my sister, my, my, sister, my, <laughs> my, my daughter um, feels very uh, uh, safe and engaged and, and aware of our neighbors and, and, and knows who they are and, and they know who we are as a family and what our values are have been really critically important. Um, and that happens in a lot of different different ways depending on um, uh, uh, who it is that we're talking with. So we have a couple minutes for questions. I do really wanna break up. Um, so are there one or two questions from the group? Anyone have a question for Jack about what he's talked about or what uh, struck out to you? Thank you, Stephen. And Jack, you mentioned things that go well and things that don't. What's, what sticks out in your experience as something that really brought you joy? And what's something that was rather disappointing in your interfaith work? Could you, could you repeat that question? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Um, I said you, you spoke about things that uh, go well and things that don't. So in your experience, what is in your interfaith work, what has really brought you joy? And what has um, brought you some heartbreak? I think that the joy comes from, as I mentioned, when those circles are, are, are thrown wider. Because I think that inevitably, um, I, I'm, I'm an, a bit of an extroverted person. Um, I, I like being around people. I get sort of a uh, adrenaline or dopamine hit, you know, from, from, um, being, uh, around lots of people. Um, and so it brought me so much happiness, for example, when we were having these young adult summits, um, to, to, um, to see that that event would grow year after year and that people would genuinely have fun at it and they would come as strangers and leave as friends. And we have, a um, a Facebook group and a text thread. And, you know, now, uh, years on, we get together, um, with some of those early organizers of that event to, to get our kids together and they play and they get to, you know, we've, we've joked about how we're the, we don't want to say middle-aged, but we're the, we're the mid-career, uh, interfaith leaders group now. Um, and, and that's been just so much fun to have. I mean, I just genuinely love the people that I'm, that I'm with and, and I'm grateful for their friendship. So that's certainly a joy that comes from it. Um, I think one of the hardships has, has come from um, institutions not recognizing the critical role that young people play and and struggling to to recognize why it is that young people are not showing up um, to their activities um, because there's there's always I think uh, a tendency to do what's safe and what's easy and um, and, and I think that we really, you know, at our institutional level, we need to um, really ask the hard questions of why it is that young people aren't showing up if they're not, and what can we do to, to make them uh, more welcome, whether it's serving dinner so that, you know, food is a great motivator for people to come. Maybe it's time of day. Um, maybe it's 
frankly, handing over the reins to whatever few young people are there and trusting them to plan the activity. Um, and just saying, success or failure, we're gonna support you 100% and encourage you in what you're doing. And we may not get it, and it may look very strange to us, but we trust your vision. Um, I think that I think that that's probably the best thing that a community can do uh, to create a space that is not um, is not overtaken by the you know the veteran and 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 very experienced leadership that may be there, um, but but allow for a space to grow organically where it's just young people talking to themselves. Um, as a as really a critical group because then they will feel safer and more welcome to come into some of those um, institutional positions like board members and be able to take the reins then and 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 um, yeah so inevitably I think it comes down to a question of trust. Thank you. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Jack for these final few minutes. Uh, Jack, thank you for, um, for for navigating this last part. Yeah, well, I you know I talked for a whole long time, um, so I'd really love to hear a little bit more from from all of you about um, some of the things that um, that you all are are working on there in in the Michigan area, particularly on the action part of the interfaith action uh, name. Um, you know, each community is different, and and so I'd be I'd be curious to know where there are those those ripe opportunities for um, you know service or or uh, better understanding does anybody um, have any uh, experience that they want to reflect on um, yeah I would in um, so I am a member of um, Temple B'nai Shalom in Benton Harbor um, and I am actually currently the co-president about to be the actual president of the board <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to say that your um, your comments on the importance of getting the younger generation in um, really resonated because that is, um, that's how I ended up president. I was kind of um, voluntold. Uh, I got, I was part of the board. I'd been asked, to, I'd been on the board for several years and uh, now my husband's on the board as well. And we, um, I, the president at the time just kind of said, and Laura Kobina will be joining us as co-president next year. And I was like, and she, so I was like, okay. Um, but congratulations they, and condolences. <laughs> thanks. Um, I, I'm I'm trying trying to own it, fake it till I make it. But but the same thing. I have a, a team of um, you know older folks that have been with the congregation for a long time that are backing me up and helping me navigate that. And it really does make a huge difference. Um, you know, our biggest struggle right now is trying to get. Um, we have a small group of. Um, you know, uh, Sunday school, Hebrew school children, and I um, teach at the Sunday school as well for, you know, we just were a small community. Um, we've lost a lot of our older members over the last few years, um, just, you know, unfortunately with, you know, health and, and age, but, um, you know, so trying to get some of the other younger families um, involved, um, you know, is, has been a challenge, but some of the things, but I, I feel good because some of the things that you were saying um, we're already working on. So that's like, I feel like I'm comforted and we're moving in the right direction. Um, but one of the things that we do um, in social action is um, our um, other current president, Ruth, um, pair, uh, paired up with um, a few other um, churches and secular groups. Um, and they have this group called United Through Motherhood and we've done um, diaper drives are right now until there's a permanent storage thing, our synagogue, because we have a lot of space and not a ton of members, um, we're storing um, diapers and wipes for a diaper drive for Berrien County. We've worked with the health department distributing those because that is an issue that spans across faiths. And, um, you know, and that's something that, um, you know, people in financial hardship with small children really struggle with because diapers are a necessity, but they are not covered by WIC or by, um, you know, like um, that, you know, EBT, like food stamps or anything like that. Um, but it's a requirement for daycare, which is a requirement to have a job to try to, you know, continue. So um, that's something that I really um, enjoy being a part of as well. So, and that's something that like another way that we're kind of contributing and also trying to help 
younger, you know, younger folks with, with small kids and stuff, you know, get on and stay on their feet. Yeah, that sounds like such a, a great practical way to, you know, put, put those principles into action. And it sounds like particularly if you have a number of young families, um, uh, you know, recognizing that that's an immediate need of, of people that are there, whether they actually need the diapers or not, you know, understanding that connection to why those that type of very simple act of service is really important. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to make a, a big difference in people's lives. So thank you for doing that. Liz. Um, Mia, can I call you out as as uh, as being uh, possibly the the end of the bell curve over here on on the age? <laughs> so so you know what? Oh, she's gonna go. Yeah, she she was saying in our breakout group she couldn't speak in her oh, office, okay. so she's okay, gonna go find a spot. That. Yeah, right. she's actually our, our intern for for Interfaith Action and a, a student at the University of Notre Dame. So. Um, Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I did, you know, just wanted to, to give an opportunity um, yeah. just in, great, in, that, great. in that mind to uh, giving voice, giving them, passing the mic to the youth here. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, Hi. Thank you for calling me out, I guess. Um, as Stephen said, I'm an intern, but for me, um, you know, I grew up in Japan, which is a pretty interfaith space in a way because there's um, Buddhism, Shinto, and um, Christianity uh, that is practiced. And there isn't like one majority religion, I would say. A lot of people participate in both Shintoist and Buddhist traditions. Like people go to temples and shrines. Um, so it's also interesting learning about your background and how you were called to interfaith. But um, when it came to America, where Christianity tends to be the majority religion. Um, I felt as though, like, I, I wish there was more interfaith spaces and acknowledgements. And that's kind of where I started to see where, how I can help um, create that space here as well. That's great. That's great. See, this is, this is a perfect example of, you know, if you, if you, uh, reach out to you know the one person that is a little bit different from there you get this whole this whole uh, gift of of beautiful experiences and a different perspective on things you know i had no idea that you grew up in japan and and so now i'm i have dozens of questions about what that experience was like you know so that's that's great i hope that um you're bringing the fullness of yourself to the the, the conversations and the work that you're doing there at the school And actually, um, uh, Michinori yeah. is is joining us from Japan on this call. So, um, yeah, that th that was fun to have that uh, yeah, in our breakout group. So, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. So, I don't know, is it late? Is it early? I, um, I, I guess it's pretty early in the morning there. <laughs> I think it's like a thirteen-hour difference right now because yeah. of daylight savings. The yeah, latest so it's like the person I interviewed for my, um, for my radio show was in Malaysia. It was in Kuala Lumpur. And, um, and so actually, you know, the funny thing about it is that it, it actually is easier to do that. I have a, a team that I manage with my production company that is in uh, Bogota, D.C., the U.K., Spain, and Madagascar. And trying to get a time that works for everybody on these team calls is is a real headache. But actually, if you're all the way on the other side, um, like Mr. Maruda over there is, <laughs> it's it's it could actually be a little bit easier because it's not as tough on either side. <laughs> you know, people are getting up, people are going to uh, winding up their day, and hopefully, there's a nice middle ground. <laughs> You know, I would uh, say a few words about uh, what Interfaith Action does since, you know, you asked, but, um, yeah. you know, a few, few of the things that are really important to us right now are um, uh, gun safety. So actually, uh, it's been a pretty momentous week in our state in that area, and we're really um, grateful for all of the partners who have been working on that. But that's been that's been a priority for Interfaith Action. Um, as well as uh, issues around migration. Uh, and, and one area is uh, supporting driver's licenses for uh, for everyone in the state. 
Um, we have migration, we have a promoting pluralistic democracy is another of our of our areas and sort of countering some of the rising uh, religious nationalism, especially uh, Christian nationalism. Um, but th those are just a few of the things that that we do, but um, we always look forward to these sorts of conversations and it's always nice to hear what people in other communities are, are doing. But it sounds like you all are, are really tackling some pretty big issues and um, I'll just say, you know, as an outsider, um, I I know what it's like to show up to a meeting and it feels like it it's only attracted a handful of people. Um, but we do have a, a, a strength, even in those small numbers. And, and I think if we look at the stories from each of our traditions, how many times has it been that these legends and those these heroes and heroines of our of our traditions came from really humble starting places that were only a handful of people that were in the room at the time or around the table at the time and you know look at at all that they've been able to inspire in the world um, and so I think that 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 can really you know give us something to draw strength from and and to know that we can actually um, create through our vision and inspired by the best of our traditions, a um, uh, opportunities that can, that can really impact all of our state, all of our, our country together. So thank you for doing all the, all that great work around, you know, keeping our, our communities safe and, and providing a more inclusive environment for people of all backgrounds. Yeah, well, I, I feel like that that could be a good note to end us on. Uh, it was really well said, and uh, and thank you for your encouragement. I, I found a lot of encouragement from your work, Jack, and uh, and and thank you for your time this evening. So, um, and thank you all for joining. Wonderful to be with you all, and thank you again for the invitation. I, I hope we'll get to meet again soon, and hopefully in person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Have a good night.